Concerning the economically unstable times that we live in, it is a great idea to convert some of your savings into real money. Now, there is a big difference between real money and what we call money, which is actually just currency. So our dollar is currency, which fluctuates. Real money, on the other hand, like silver, for example, is a store of value over time. The best way to think of it is like this. If you had saved $1,000 in cash back in the late 60s, the late 1960s, that $1,000 would still be $1,000 technically, but it would buy you significantly less today due to inflation. Now, if you had saved that same $1,000 in silver back in the 1960s, today it would be worth around $28,000. So one of the best ways to protect your purchasing power is in real money, more specifically silver. You can buy and have the metal shipped discreetly to your door, and what most people don't know is that you can actually convert your IRA or even a 401k into physical silver rather than having all of your life savings tied up in the paper fiat system, which is subject to hyperinflation. Go to dailyrenegade.com and click on the Cornerstone Assets Metals banner. This is the only company that I personally trust with this kind of thing. Click on that and sign up to get your free silver report today. One of the financial experts will speak with you to find out the best way to protect your savings going forward in these uncertain times. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Sharpening Report. Glad to be speaking with you today. Uh, so I wanted to talk about some things that I actually talked about on my um, virtual conference presentation for Skywatch TV. I believe the website is defenderconference.com or something like that. You should be able to find it linked at skywatchtv.com. Um, and also, if you want materials related to this topic, we're going to be talking about CERN, because uh, the LHC at CERN has uh, fired up once again. And, of course, this has released a slew of uh, some legitimate concerns and some illegitimate concerns. And I wanted to kind of go through some of those uh, today. Um, I go really in-depth in it in my presentation and then even more in-depth with a lot of this stuff in uh, my book that I uh, co-authored with Dr. Thomas Horn, best-selling author, called uh, Abaddon Ascending. And you can get that at skywatchtvstore.com. Highly suggest you do. Uh, it'll tell you how CERN and the LHC works. I'm going to do that today, too. but um, And it'll go through some of the legitimate and illegitimate concerns uh, about CERN. So, uh, well, let's just jump right into it. So this year... The Large Hadron Collider at CERN has once again fired up, and like I said, that ignited a whole new round of concern and speculation and even fear, which we should not have fear over this. But uh, today, I, I wanted to talk about some of the legitimate concerns, some of the illegitimate. So, I mean, you know, because this topic brings up a whole bunch of interconnected topics, demonic rituals, time travel, the Mandela effect, uh, the multiverse, uh, and even more. So uh, first, though, I want to start with just the basics. You know, what, what is CERN? What is the LHC in case somebody uh, is coming at this brand new? Well, the good thing is you don't have to be worried about not being able to understand it. Usually what happens is scientists have their own language, which is 
complicated. <laughs> um, but what I did in Abaddon Ascending, and also I have a book called Unraveling the Multiverse, uh, which you guys can check out too. But in that, I took some of these quantum physics concepts and broke it down into just normal everyday terms that laymen like myself and, and probably yourself can understand. Um, so simply the LHC or Large Hadron Collider is a machine that slams subatomic particles together and it records the data of the explosion for scientists to evaluate later. Uh, CERN itself is the governing body of people who make decisions about what kind of experiments the LHC or Large Hadron Collider will be used for. Um, so CERN's Large Hadron Collider, it's a single largest machine in the world located on the border of France and Switzerland. It accelerates particles almost to the speed of light, causing them to travel in a loop where they will then collide in an attempt to, uh, what scientists would say, recreate the conditions um, that applied during the earliest moments of the universe, the Big Bang and similar theories like that, whereupon the origins of all life as we know it on Earth today might be finally studied and understood. Now that, again, is from a scientific perspective. Um, despite that, despite their views on the universe, the LHC does actually work. Uh, one of the most interesting and little known facts about CERN is the internet was actually created there. The World Wide Web began, uh, began as a project at CERN called Enquire by Tim Berners-Lee in 1989 and then uh, following Robert Kalilau in 1990. The project was originally intended as a way to, uh, for researchers to share information. But the, the very first website was activated in 1991, which is really interesting. Now on uh, April 30th of 1993, CERN announced the World Wide Web would be available for everyone. Uh, it had a budget of something like $9 billion, uh, the, the, the Large Hadron Collider did. Uh, and that was the largest and most expensive machine ever built by man in known history. The LHC was um, built in collaboration with over 10,000 scientists and engineers from over 100 countries, as well as hundreds of universities and laboratories. Um, it's buried at an average depth of, uh, depth of about 300 feet beneath the border of France and Switzerland. And the LHC is 17 miles in circumference and is comprised of 1,232 primary magnets. Now, because it's underground, the LHC can't be seen from the surface. There are other particle, uh, collider, particle accelerators excuse me, uh, beyond those found at CERN. One of these is the RHIC, which is located in Upton, New York. And that stands for Relativistic Heavy Ion Collider. And the main purpose of that one is to study the form of matter as it existed just after the Big Bang, according to scientists, by colliding ions at relativistic speeds. Now, the Tevatron is another one. It's now decommissioned, but that's uh, a circular particle accelerator at Fermilab located east of Batavia, Illinois. And it is the second highest energy particle collider in the world, bested only by the LHC. Uh, the main achievement of the Tevatron was the discovery of the top quark in 1995, but due to budget cuts and the completion of the LHC, the Tevatron ceased operations in uh, 2011. So much is, in, much is in store for the future of CERN, the LHC, and particle colliders in general. With how fast 
these discoveries in quantum physics will likely be made in the near future. It's a good idea for us to learn as much as we can, especially as Christians, uh, learn as much as we can now so we'll have an easier time understanding what lies ahead. So for the future that's shaping ahead, remaining uninformed is no longer a viable option. If you go to witness to people, you never know, they might ask about this. Now, I'll just say real quick, if you witness to somebody and they ask something about, well, doesn't quantum physics prove a Big Bang? If you don't have an answer for that, it's perfectly acceptable, uh, and they'll actually respect you more if you just say, you know, I really don't know, but I know somebody, or I've got some information, or here's a book I can give you, or let me look into it and I'll get back with you. Um, with witnessing, that's perfectly acceptable to do. Don't just make something up uh, on the spot. Um, everybody's lied to all the time. Show them something different, you know, be humble. <laughs> now, uh, a significant section of CERN is built upon the saint Genis Poili, a commune in the Aisne department of France. In Roman times, the saint Genis Poili was called uh, Apollyacum. The name Poili comes from the Latin Apollyacum, with the Latin suffix eacum denoting possession. So the town and a temple were dedicated, the, the town and a temple there were dedicated to Apollyon, the, the, the destroyer, or Shiva, slash Horus. Um, Apollyon is also the angel of the bottomless pit, referred to in Revelation 9.11. Uh, Apollo was worshipped by the Romans, as well as the Greeks. Uh, in Mauvere Indri, a commune in central France, Apollo was equated with the uh, Celtic god uh, Etipamoris. And these two characters were combined to create Apollo Etipamoris, which can be translated as Great Horseman or possessing a great horse. Now, we all know about horses in the book of Revelation. There's, there, there's at least four <laughs> that aren't too great. Um, in the Celtic belief, horses were closely related to the sun. Now, the interesting thing to note here is the connection between this idea of Apollo being associated with horses in France, where part of the LHC and CERN resides, and what the book of Revelation states about Abaddon, Apollyon, in chapter 9, verses 7 and 11. Here it is, quote, And the shapes of the locusts were like unto horses prepared unto battle. And on their heads were, as it were, crowns like gold, and their faces were as faces of men. And they had a king over them, which is the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in the Hebrew tongue is Abaddon, but in the Greek tongue hath his name Apollyon. As Tom Horn and I note in our book, Abaddon Ascending, they actually believed uh, the, the early inhabitants of this area anciently, uh, they believed that that's where the bottomless pit was located. And yet today, here is where the LHC is built. So, of course, that brings up a lot of questions. Um, and, and even more, uh, what about this statue? There's a Shiva statue. For those of you who have not heard about this controversial piece of art CERN proudly exhibits between buildings 39 and 40 near the main building of their operations, it stands as the most visible and celebrated imagery behind their work. So Shiva, it, it's a big Shiva statue. Shiva is the Hindu god of destruction and a symbol of Shakti or life force. Uh, he is known very well as the destroyer, interestingly enough. In 2004, the government of India, who had a long-standing friendship with the leaders behind the CERN project, even before the completion of the LHC, gifted CERN with this bronze work of art depicting Shiva as Nataraja, the lord, sometimes king, of dance. 
Now that sounds innocent on the surface, but the dance Shiva is performing in this sculpture is called the Tandava, a dance that provides the source of crea uh, the source of the creation cycle, the preservation of all life and existence, and the termination of all life and existence. The Rundra Tandava is a dance that specifically displays Shiva's sadistic personality as he rains down the ultimate destruction upon a weary planet. Now, if, as CERN claims, they are only out to explore space, time, matter, particles, and the origin of our known universe and planets from um, exclusively a scientific, Darwinian-related perspective, if their agenda is unrelated to Bible prophecy entirely, then what is with all the mystical symbolism they knowingly associate themselves with? Wouldn't it be more appropriate for them to proudly display a polished statue of a particle or some artist depiction of the Big Bang instead of a statue of Shiva, the destroyer, a literal statue of the destroyer? From the unveiling of this Nataraja on uh, CERN grounds, controversy has been launched from all sides, um, including irreligious groups, groups that are not religious, and questions abound as to CERN's motives in its, in its exposition. Now, so far, CERN's responses have most often pointed to the notion that the statue was simply a gift to an international and multicultural scientific institution, and they show it off out of gratitude. Now, if pure appreciation were the only contributing factor the implications behind the symbolism might continue to disturb some, but it's likely the issue would at least be dropped by many irreligious groups that could find it within themselves to you know, accept a motive of gratefulness. But the plaque at the side of the statue tells a different story. It reads in part, quote, Hundreds of years ago, Indian artists created visual images of dancing Shivas in a beautiful series of bronzes. In our time, physicists have used the most advanced technology to portray the patterns of the cosmic dance. The metaphor of the cosmic dance thus unifies ancient mythology, religious art, and modern physics, end quote. Now, right there, right out in the open for all to see is a direct correlation between the Hindu perception of Shiva hundreds of years ago, which is the concept of dis the destroyer that we've already explained, and our time unifying ancient, excuse me, unifying ancient mythology, religious art, and modern physics. So this isn't just a scientific pursuit. It says right on the plaque. It unifies ancient mythology, religious art, and modern physics. So had CERN mere gratitude in their exhibit, if that was the only reason, the plaque would have said a word of thanks, and there would not be the need to blatantly associate the destroyer of all life in the universe with the kind of modern physics science that CERN is dabbling with now. So, of course, we should expect people to have some concern over that. Um, there's also rumors of plans. There are rumors of plans at CERN for a gravitation communication system, and this involves opening portals. It involves Revelation 9. Of course, they're not going to see it like that, but they want to communicate or at least probe and see if there's intelligences in higher dimensions. Now, although CERN does not publicly profess to an agenda in relation to God and Satan, evil versus good, the spiritual realm, as it would be described by Bible believers and so on, uh, Adam Barker of Tech Bubble once uh, wrote of CERN, quote, with the LHC, CERN are expecting 
to find other dimensions and open portals to these dimensions. If you have the image of Stargate in your head right now, you are spot on, end quote. He also said, quote, one of CERN's goals is to recreate Jacob's Ladder and reopen a portal that is said to have existed between Earth, Mars, Venus, and Saturn when the planets were in alignment many years ago, but whether Jacob's Ladder really existed, CERN are pretty sure that other dimensions do and have made it their goal to ensure that they open the portals up to them, end quote. So perhaps you remember the dream that the patriarch Jacob had as he was fleeing from his brother Esau. Uh, here it is, quote, from the Bible, uh, and let me find that reference. It's Genesis 28, 10 through 17. This is from the ESV. Um, it says, quote, Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. He came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set upon the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. End quote. And again, that is Genesis 28, 10 through 17 from the ESV. This ladder described in the first book of the Bible describes a portal from heaven to earth through which God's angels, extra-dimensional spiritual beings from another reality, were traveling. When Jacob wakes... He refers to the location as a gate, much like today's trendy term uh, terms gateway and stargate. Now, Sergio Bertolucci, the official director for research and scientific computing at CERN, was asked about this extra-dimensional doorway by The Register. It's a London and New York-operated science and technology journal. And he didn't hesitate with an enlightening response. He said, quote, out of this door might come something or we might send something through it, end quote. Now, we as Christians know who the true ladder to heaven is, as John 1.51, uh, from, uh, once again from the ESV, says, quote, And he, Jesus, said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man, end quote. So that means there are those at CERN, not everybody, but there are those at CERN, who wish to create a sort of Jacob's ladder completely different and outside of Jesus Christ to communicate with higher realities and extra-dimensional entities, something that readers of the book of Jasher might recognize as very familiar to the motivations behind the Tower of Babel incident. Uh, prophecy in innumerable parts of the Bible refers to this coming day when the portals will be opened and spiritual entities will pass to and from the earth. Now, if this is true, and if the verses are accepted for their literal meaning and not written off as some kind of poetic allegory, as some scholars unfortunately have claimed, then the idea that CERN is playing with gateways is a major alarm. A deeper study of scripture supports the idea that spiritual forces that exist behind barriers or gates are located in the sky, sea, and physical earth. For instance, the book of Ephesians is a study of principalities and powers in high places and powers of the air. Nehemiah 9.6, uh, the prophet speaks of more than one heaven. He saw the heavens and the heaven of heavens. These are peripheral heavens or divisions, as Paul refers to in 2 Corinthians 12, 2, saying, quote, I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago who was caught up to the third heaven, end quote. Um, as a Pharisee, Paul acknowledged three main heavens, which included a domain of the air, the cosmos, 
uh, or height controlled by Satan. In pharisaical thought, the first heaven is simply the place where the birds fly, you know, the sky, anything removed from and not attached to the surface of the earth. On the other end of the spectrum and uh, of a different substance is the third heaven, the dwelling place of God. This is the place from which angelic spheres spread outward. Uh, between the first heaven and uh, between the first heaven where the birds fly and the third heaven where dwells the throne room of God is a war zone called the second heaven. This war zone is a sort of gasket heaven, a, a domain of Satan encompassing the, sur the surface of the earth. It was believed that from here, cosmocraters could overshadow cities, intrude upon, and attempt to influence the affairs of governments of men. Uh, it's also, it was also believed that from the cosmos, Satan's minions also sought to close the gateways above cities so that God's blessings could not flow into them. Now later, it was believed that when saints bent their knees in prayer, they had to pray through walls or gates of opposition contained within this gasket heaven. In addition to heavenly gateways behind which fallen spirits dwell, Job 2.6 tells of Jonah, Job, going down, tells of Job going down to, or maybe that's Jonah 2.6. You know, in my notes, I got this mixed up. It's either Jonah 2.6 or Job 2.6. I think we're talking about Jonah here. Um, but the, the, the story that Jonah, this is Jonah, of course, uh, going down to the bottom of the sea in a city of gates or Bariok, a fortress in the earth, a prison from which God delivered him. Now there's no doubt about where uh, about where Jonah was as he prayed to God in uh, Jonah two two, out of the belly of hell or Sheol, the underworld prison of the dead. This text is both fascinating and illuminating when compared to the words of Christ in Matthew sixteen seventeen through eighteen. Blessed art thou, Simon Bar Jonah, son of Jonah. Uh, thou art Peter, uh, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Matthew's unusual choice of words here connecting the rock upon which the church would be built, the name of Jonah, and the gates of hell, that's not a coincidence. Of course, it's a word of Jesus, but Matthew recorded it. Christ made the same connection to hell's gateway, Jonah, and his mission for the church in Matthew twelve forty. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now, besides the stories of Jonah and Christ, the Bible refers to non-human entities in subterraneous locations as well, such as the four angels which are bound in the great river Euphrates from Revelation 9.14. Uh, Job 26.5, this one is actually Job, not Jonah. Job 26.5 tells of the Rapha, or Rephaim, fallen angels or offspring of such, who writhe beneath the waters. Um, and that's from the interlinear Hebrew and Young's literal translation. 2 Peter 2.4 and Jude 6 both indicate that a subsurface earth is a prison uh, or a, a holding tank where God has bound certain fallen entities. So even if physical travel to a higher dimension is impossible, what about communication? Now, interestingly, there are already ideas in place to try to communicate with another dimension uh, from CERN. Now, the graviton is probably one of the strangest theoretical particles ever hypothesized. Gravitons have never been directly observed. That's why we have to say theoretical. Um, but physicists are confident um, 
in their existence, I mean, it's, it's a near certainty due to the presence of the gravitational field. Uh, every field, every quantum field has an associated particle. So even though it hasn't been directly observed, it, it should exist because we have a gravitational field. So it's possible that a soon discovery might take place by means of particle colliders, such as the LHC at CERN, of gravitons. Um, gravitons are the particles responsible for gravity. Gravity in itself is still a mystery in many respects, but due to scientific advancements, the world may not be far off from the holy grail of physics, uh, definitive proof that the graviton actually exists by and the means to study its properties. Uh, whoever makes that discovery will certainly win a Nobel Prize. Now, as has been shown through the use of mathematics, what makes the graviton especially interesting is its apparent ability to flow freely between dimensions. Now, among other potential discoveries, the graviton is at the top of the LHC's to-do list. The idea is not always to look for the graviton itself, but to uh, look for a gap where particles should be after a collision. The two particle de uh, detectors of the LHC, CMS and ATLAS, are able to show us the aftermath of a particle collision. As in any collision, debris is thrown out and uh, distributed fairly evenly. If, however, the detector shows a gap where debris or new and exotic particles should be, that could be evidence that they have escaped into a higher dimension. Now, there is an idea that gravitons can be used as a way to communicate with beings of a higher dimension. This may sound like the stuff of science fiction, but physicists today are seriously considering this possibility. If gravitons are discovered and used as a way to communicate with beings of higher dimensions or parallel universes, this might be what tells the world that we are not alone. While many of us are waiting for a type of disclosure event in which otherworldly beings, extraterrestrials, present themselves and their spacecraft to humanity, we might be surprised to find these beings uh, actually present themselves in a different way. This may begin with um, an established communication via gravitons. Now, the way that this works, um, well, it helps to know how the LHC actually works. So what we think of as particles, um, what we think of as particles like little bits of matter, that's not exactly accurate. It's, it's been shown and proven, and actually this is the only reason the LHC at CERN works in the first place, that Particles are really just spikes of energy. They're not, they're not little bits of matter. They're, they're a spike of energy in a quantum field. They're a quantum fluctuation. So quantum fields are everywhere. Think of the gravitational field. That's everywhere. But in certain areas, there's uh, more gravity than in others. So if you're out in the depths of space and there's no planetary bodies or stars around you, there's not going to be that much gravity there. But if you're on a planet or near the sun or near a black hole, then that gravity is increased. So you can think of particles like that. It's, 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 a, it's an energy spike. That's all it is. So the way that the LHC works, they're not smashing bits of matter together and creating new particles. What they're doing is they're smashing energy spikes together, and when those energy spikes collide, when those particles collide, that reverberates energy into all other fields that would be present, because all fields are basically everywhere all at once. So we have, you know, a gravitational field, we have an electromagnetic field, which uh, that's where photons come from. So, um, 
we, we have all of them all at once, but maybe not all have been discovered. I, actually, most definitely not all have been discovered. So when that energy reverberates, it creates new energy spikes in these other fields, and then they can detect those, and they can measure its properties. This is how the Higgs boson was discovered. Uh, so that's that's just a basic rundown on how the LHC works. So gravitons could be discovered in the same way. They could either be detected or they could find a gap where a particle should be and then possibly determine that um, it escaped into a higher dimension. So back to the gravitational communication system, there are steps uh, toward that goal that must be taken. First, would be the confirmed discovery of gravitational waves and or gravi gravitons themselves. Um, now, they have already confirmed gravitational waves. Those have been detected uh, at LIGO in, uh, I believe, September of 2015. So next would be learning to repeat the detection of gravitons in a lab by creating gravitons or gravity waves. They would do this by putting Einstein's general theory to the test directly and experimentally. Now, once that's accomplished, and for all we know, it might have been already, a lot of these discoveries don't get um, reported till months after, uh, or sometimes even years after they've, they've been confirmed. Um, now, once that's accomplished, there will be enough information to go on to learn how to manipulate the gravitons themselves. Um, and the way that the communication system would work, uh, Brian Greene actually has a, uh, it was a segment in a, a science documentary um, on YouTube. I believe I have that sourced in Abaddon Ascending. If you get that book, I have a, a link, I believe, in, in that book for it. But uh, but Brian Greene, a popular physicist, he uh, he explained that the way this would work is by changing the, the spin of the graviton. So you would have one that spins up, one that spins down, and then you can do uh, you can do like a, a binary code. You can do like Morse code, like a binary code, and you can make a message out of that. And the idea is to string a bunch of these together, make a message, send it through, uh, you know, let them do what gravitons apparently do on their own anyway. They they travel to other dimensions, higher dimensions, um, and then see set up a detector and see if there's a response. It, it, it's kind of horrifying how close we are to, to that and might actually already be able to do this. Uh, again, if gravitons were detected, it would not be, um, it wouldn't be shared publicly that day. They would go through several confirmations and for other reasons, they might even just keep it secret for a while, uh, possibly for, for this. Um, for, for example, like I mentioned, the detection of gravitational waves occurred in September of 2015, but it wasn't officially announced until six months later on February 11th of 2016. So that leads us to wonder what else has been accomplished and not yet announced? Could these discoveries spur on the opening of the abyss in Revelation chapter 9? I mean, only time will tell, but by the looks of it, we're not too far off from knowing for sure. And that leads us to wonder what the world might look like after interdimensional communication is established. We may even have the answer to it in the prophetic book of Revelation from the prophet John. Revelation 9, 1 through 3 states, And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth, and to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and there arose a smoke out of the pit, as the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. And there came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth, and unto them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power.
the angel sounding the trumpet is likely not a fallen angel, but instead might be signaling that a fallen being is about to come into the picture. Now, the rest of the first verse of Revelation 9 states, And I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth, and to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. Now, this is no ordinary star. According to our modern vernacular, you know, any star that would fall on the earth would utterly destroy the earth. End of story. So there does seem to be a connection, though, between stars and angels in the Bible. And at times, the word star can actually represent an angel. We see this alluded to in Revelation 1.20, which states, The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. Now, angel there just means messenger that might be a heavenly being that, uh, you know, presides over a church, or it might be the leader of that church. It could be just a, a human. It, it, it depends on what, what the context is, what was actually meant. Um, because the, the, the word angel just means like the office of messenger. It's not even really, it doesn't describe an entity. It describes a position, an office, like a job. Now, we can also see the star, uh, we, we, we can also see the star is a being of some sort because it says unto him was given the key. So for this star to be referred to as him, it shows it's a person of some sort, you know, angelic, probably not human. Uh, this could be, uh, and, and just that word though, it could refer to a person, a being, or four, uh, uh, four spatial dimensions possibly rather than three like, like we uh, inhabit. Uh, but it's most likely referring to a fallen angel. Verse 2 tells us that the angel opened the bottomless pit with the key. The word key comes from the Greek word kleos and can be used as a metaphor for authority. So in a sense, this fallen angel was given permission to open the bottomless pit. Uh, we also learn in Revelation 1.18 that Jesus Christ himself held the keys of death and hell. So most likely it was Jesus who granted this authority. And we may ask, why would Jesus give permission for a fallen angel or any angel to open the bottomless pit? Well, we find the answer in chapter 2, verses 2 through 11 in the book of Joel. Uh, it says, A day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, as the morning spread upon the mountains. A great people and a strong, there hath not been ever the like, neither shall be any more after it, even to the years of many generations. A fire devoureth before them, and behind them a flame burneth. The land is as the garden of Eden before them, and behind them is them a desolate wilderness, yea, and nothing shall escape them. The appearance of them is as the appearance of horses, and as horsemen. So, they, so shall they run. Like the noise of chariots on the tops of mountains shall they leap, like the noise of a flame of fire that devoureth the stubble, as a strong people set in battle array. Before their face the people shall be much pained, and uh, all faces shall gather blackness. It's starting to sound familiar, I imagine. They shall run like mighty men, they shall climb the wall like men of war, and they shall march everyone on his ways. They shall not break their ranks. Neither shall one thrust another. They shall walk every one in his path, and when they fall upon the sword, they shall not be wounded. So see, we see these are immortal beings. Angels, if you will, or fallen angels of some sort. Uh, continuing on in verse 9, they shall run to and fro in the city. They shall run upon the wall. They shall climb up upon the houses. They shall enter in at the windows like a thief. 
the earth shall quake before them, the heavens shall tremble, the sun and the moon shall be dark, and the stars shall withdraw their shining. And the Lord shall utter his voice before his army, for his camp is very great. Let me read that one again. And the Lord shall utter his voice before his army, for his camp is very great, for he is strong that executeth his word. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible, and who can abide it? There are many... Uh, now, uh, that's the end of it. There, there's many things we can learn. Now, there's debate on what this army is. It could be the Revelation 9 army, and we're going to explore that. Uh, but but just, just so it's said, it could also be the army of angels at the very end when they're bringing people to judgment. Um, and that, that, that's actually what that verse about, you know, one is taken, one is left, one in the field, one isn't, that's not talking about the rapture. And I am a pre-tribulation rapture guy, but I wouldn't use that to defend it. That's actually talking about judgment when Christ comes back and, uh, everybody alive, you know, ha has to be judged. Angels actually carry people basically to the slaughter. So it could mean that. Um, or it could be this Revelation 9 army. And, and again, you might ask, well, why would God use this demonic army? Like, you know, they're, they're evil. Well, there's a lot of things we can learn from this passage, but for our purposes here, I, I, we only really need to note a couple things. First, um, as we'll see in further detail, notice the army is described in many of the same ways as the locust army of Revelation 9. It's probably the same, or Revelation 9 might be a, a, a kind of... Um, uh, a perversion of a good heavenly army. Um, you know, we, we, we don't really know for sure, but it could, it could be the Revelation 9 army. And we also read in verse 8 of their immortality, when they fall upon the sword, they shall not be wounded, showing that these are, they, these are likely angelic in nature. Now, given the description of the circumstances surrounding these beings, sun, moon, stars, darkened clouds of thick darkness, that kind of stuff, they seem, they seem to be the very same locust beings from Revelation 9. But also notice, Joel 2.11 says that this is the Lord's army. So how could that be? Again, a very simple uh, answer might be, well, it's not the same army. Um, Revelation 9 is Abaddon's army, which is a, a perversion of, Lord, of the Lord's actual army. And here it's describing the Lord's actual army that, that comes with Christ to uh, help usher people to judgment. Uh, could, could be. Could be, um, but let's say how how if it is the Revelation Nine Army, how would that work? Well, there are times in the Bible that God will use the enemy for His own purposes. After all, He's ultimately in control of these things anyway. He can He can use them as He sees fit. For example, in the Book of Exodus, we read that God hardened Pharaoh's heart, so Pharaoh was evil, and God was using him, and that's in Exodus nine twelve. We also read later in Revelation chapter nine. Uh, starting in verse 13, And the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the six angels, which had, or saying to the sixth angel, which had the trumpet, loose the four angels, which are bound in the great river Euphrates. And the four angels were loosed, which were prepared for an hour and a day and a month and a year for to slay a third part of men. So, and those are, if they're bound, clearly they did something to deserve that judgment. So as we can see, there are times the Lord will use the enemy to fulfill his own purposes, usually in the way of judgment. Uh, the locust army would be no different. Before they're unleashed into our world, 
the gravitational communication aspect becomes more obvious as we consider these prophecies. Is it possible that the LHC at CERN will detect evidence of gravitons, which in turn could lead to a communication device to higher dimensional entities? I mean, after all, what particle but the graviton could best represent a fallen angel? Uh, we even have reference to falling, an effect caused by gravity, in the description of the star-slash-angel that opens the bottomless pit. And as we saw earlier, the area where CERN is located today is thought to have been dedicated to the same false god in ancient times, and they believed that that's where the the bottomless pit was. So perhaps that dedication will manifest itself in the near future. So given that, we may see a modern-day repeat of the Tower of Babel and the fulfillment of Revelation 9 in the future. It's kind of like God saying, you know what, you asked for it, you want these guys, you don't want me, fine, you got them, let's see how well they treat you. Uh, if you if you accept the book of Jasher, that, that's the motivations behind the Tower of Babel. They They wanted to they wanted to honor their false gods. They wanted to put idols in heaven, if you can believe it. And so God split them all up. And um, by piecing things together from Deuteronomy and other places, apparently what happened is he uh, put angels in charge over these other nations, but they became corrupt uh, and they didn't lead them correctly, and they started their own religions. And that's why all over the world you have a bunch of different religions. That's also why, though, all around the world, these other religions are, I mean, the Bible stands alone is completely unique. When you read the Bible, it reads like a history book. I mean, there are some weird stuff in there. Of course, there's miracles and there's uh, the book of Revelation and stuff. But when you read it, it reads like a history book. Not so with other religious texts. When you read those, it's really fantastical, really way out there, uh, really out there stuff. It doesn't read the same. And it could be because those books, those religious texts, were inspired by fallen angels, whereas, of course, the Bible, the true word, uh, was inspired by God himself, who is absolute truth. Uh, so that could explain it. So we might, we might be seeing a modern-day repeat of the Tower of Babel with CERN. Now, there's another potential fear or worry or concern that scientists... Um, kind of worry about, but we, we as Bible-believing Christians don't really need to. Uh, but it's what is referred to as the Higgs Field Doomsday. So the Higgs Field, we talked about fields a little earlier. The Higgs Field was discovered in 2012 through the discovery of its associated particle, the Higgs boson. Now, every, like I mentioned before, every elementary particle has an associated field, and the Higgs field is everywhere, and that's what actually determines mass. Now, that's really interesting. Mass, we think, is like substance, more substance. It's not. It's an interaction with a field. Um, so, the Higgs field has what's called a non-zero rest value. That means when it's at rest, it's not zero. There's still something happening there. Um, in empty space, the Higgs field still has quite a bit of energy compared to other quantum fields that are set to zero. Uh, in fact, it would actually take more energy for the Higgs field to be at zero. Uh, the, the question then comes up, is it possible for the Higgs field to attain energy? And if so, what would that mean for the universe? Um, Joseph Licken is a theoretical physicist and the deputy director and chief research officer at Fermilab. He is also a collaborator of the CMS experiment at CERN's LHC. Now, in a, in a really fascinating and enlightening seminar for the SETI Institute talk series, 
Joseph Licken explained the significance of the Higgs field as well as what could possibly destroy the universe in the future. So Licken pointed out that one of the most interesting and important things about the Higgs field is its non-zero nature. It actually takes less energy for the Higgs field to be where it is now than it would if it were at zero. You'd have to use energy to compact it down to zero. Uh, so that, now that sounds impossible, but the, the, that's one of the fascinating things about God's design. You know, many times impossibility is the norm. So the energy of the Higgs field is set at a very interesting value. Speaking in terms of energetic favorability, the Higgs field actually might prefer, in a sense, a higher energy state. Um, there, there's something restraining it, we could use that word, from having an actual higher energy. So the current value of the Higgs field is at a place where it would take, again, more energy to set it to zero, yet it could be more energetically favorable for it to have an even higher energy. So if you, if you add energy to it, it wouldn't tamp it down to zero, it would kind of tip it over the edge and make it make it want to have an even higher energy. Now, the only thing that's stopping the Higgs field from energizing even more is an energetic cost getting in the way. So let me give you an example to kind of uh, explain this. You, you can think of this in terms of a small hill and a cliff. Now, imagine uh, there's a ball on a flat field of grass, and right in front of the ball is a small, fill, uh, a small hill, only a couple of inches high. And then... Um, on the other side of that hill, though, there's a cliff that goes down several hundred feet. Now, the ball is at rest at the base of the small hill. So at the moment, there's no danger of the ball plummeting down the cliff. However, if there's a sudden gust of wind or some other natural event to add a small amount of energy to the ball, it could climb that hill and then free fall down the cliff, all the while gaining speed and energy exponentially. The energy of the Higgs field is like the ball, and its potential energy is like uh, the hill and the cliff. So right now, the energy of the Higgs field is at the base of the hill. There's no danger. But at the point between the two extremes of zero and maximum energy, the conditions are just right for the Higgs field to allow the universe to exist as it does today. However, it is, it's po is it possible that someday a gust of wind could send the Higgs field up the hill, that's just adding the little bit of energy and then careening over the edge, which is um, maybe not the best metaphor because you think down, that's going down to zero, but really the energy uh, of the Higgs field in this scenario would be in a free fall of sorts that it would just, it would, it would, it would gain energy. And in a way that the, the analogy works because as the ball is falling, it's gaining momentum, gaining speed, exponentially, the same thing would happen with the energy of the Higgs field. If you add some energy to it, it could careen off the cliff, so to speak, and exponentially gain more and more and more energy. Um, so could, could that happen? A, a, well, a quantum fluctuation is a slight bump or a wave in a quantum field that has the potential to become a particle. So quantum fluctuation, fluctuations actually happen all the time in every field. Otherwise, reality wouldn't be able to exist. Uh, physicality would just be meaningless. In those regards, quantum fluctuations are a good thing. However, as Joseph Licken pointed out during his seminar, there is a type of quantum fluctuation that might not be beneficial to existence at all. In quantum mechanics, a hill is not enough to prevent something from happening. So in the words of Joseph Licken, 
uh, quote, eventually there will be some kind of unlucky quantum fluctuation that will cause us to go through a process called quantum tunneling that will get us from the false vacuum that we're living in now, apparently, to the real vacuum the universe wants to be in, end quote. Something's restraining it. I wonder what that might be. Uh, right now, the universe is not a true vacuum. You know, there's a familiar saying in physics and cosmology that says empty space isn't empty. Now, the way that that phrase is worded causes it to be misleading. Probably a more accurate thing to say would be something like empty space isn't real. Uh, what, we, what we call empty space in the universe is not truly empty. The term empty space is a bit of a misnomer. Empty space could be called sort of empty space or less full space or something to that effect. Uh, what's known as empty space is still full of fields, virtual particles, which are particles that rapidly pop in and out of existence, dark energy, and possibly other things that haven't been discovered yet. The only true vacuum of space might exist in a, a, a black hole, but even that has yet to be determined. Um, yet to be determined. Now, the vacuum of space is actually more of a false vacuum, which is the idea Lickin was proposing. So the universe might find it energetically preferable to be in a true vacuum, but the Higgs field, with its current energy value, is preventing that from happening. So apparently it would not take much for the Higgs field to energize and careen off the cliff. Uh, so in fact, according to quantum physics, it's expected to happen someday. In his seminar, Licken demonstrated how the probability of it happening in our lifetime is incredibly low. Uh, in fact, statistically speaking, it isn't expected to happen for another 10 to, to, 10 to the 100th power years. However, that's just statistics. Though incredibly unlikely, Lickett admits this could have already happened somewhere out in the universe and we may experience the effects at any time. Now, at least for now, in this delicate balancing act between the Higgs field and the rest of the universe, physical existence remains possible. But what would it look like if the Higgs field were to suddenly energize? It would not be all at once, as Joseph Licken points out. At some point in the universe, some place in the universe, a quantum fluctuation would occur, causing the Higgs field to energize, but only at that localized point in space to begin with. A bubble of high energy would be created in the Higgs field, somewhere out in the universe, and expand at the speed of light all throughout the universe. <clears throat> now, in fact, this bubble could have already been formed somewhere out in the far reaches of the universe, and we would have no way of seeing it coming. Now, what this would mean for us is actually really catastrophic. So in his seminar, uh, Joseph Licken presented a slide that stated, quote, if this standard model calculation is correct, eventually fireballs of doom will form spontaneously and expand to destroy the universe, end quote. Um, so if, if you think about it, if you think about it like this, what would happen is, okay, the, the Higgs fault, the Higgs field, <laughs> uh, is, that interaction is what gives mass. So ma mass is the interaction. So we have mass because we're interacting with the Higgs field right now. Photons have no mass because they don't interact with the Higgs field. That's how a photon can be massless but still exist. It just doesn't interact with the field. Um, so the way that it would work, if the Higgs field careened off the cliff and got more energized, particles themselves would become so massive, would have such a strong reaction with the Higgs field, that particles themselves would become black holes. 
every particle in your body would become black holes. Black holes would connect to, to other black holes, becoming a big uh, its own black hole, and eventually the whole universe would just be a true vacuum, a true just black hole vacuum, and nothing could exist. Um, now, at least nothing that we know of, but having that in mind, um, we know, biblically speaking, the universe isn't going to just spontaneously end like that, but... What about uh, when God creates a new heavens and a new earth? Second Peter 3.10 states, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief of the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also, and the works that are therein, shall be burned up. Now, repeating the same idea with a bit more information, 2 Peter 3.12 states, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Now, the, words, uh, the word heavens in both of these verses is translated from the Greek word oranos, which can be understood as the universe or the world. The word elements, this is interesting, comes from the Greek, Greek word stoikion, and can mean any first thing from which the others belonging to some series or composite whole take their rise, an element, first principle. For example, the heavenly bodies, either as parts of the heavens or as others think, because in them the elements of man, life, and destiny were supposed to reside, and the elements from which all things have come, the material causes of the universe. Now, what we may have in these two verses is a representation of the universal macro scale, heavens, and the quantum micro scale, elements. Elementary particles, fundamental particles, particles that uh, can't be broken down into anything else, but they, they come to make other particles, any first thing, elements, elementary particles. So the heavens seem to be referring to the universe as a whole, while the elements might be referring to elementary particles, given the context of the verse and the Greek definition of stoichion. So could this mean that this Higgs field energizing event will be the mechanism that the Lord will use to cause the heavens to pass away and the earth to burn up. Is that why we need new bodies? Because everything else gets destroyed and you, you, you would not be able to survive an event like that in, the, in, in, in our bodies. Um, also, I mean, it, it, would, it would mess time up, time, time itself. I mean, black holes warp time. Gravi gra gravity warps time. So it would stand to reason. Maybe that's the mechanism that brings us into eternity, into the eternal state in our new bodies. Um, now, it's certainly possible that Lickens Higgsfield Doomsday was first predicted nearly 2,000 years ago. And if so, is this something we need to fear? The short answer is no. Uh, you know, consider Second Peter 3.13, which says, Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. So if, if we are secure in Jesus, whatever mechanism God chooses to use to bring in the new heavens and new earth uh, and bring us into the eternal state, we don't need to fear that. We will likely have our new bodies by, by that time that can withstand such an event and it will actually be uh, a more natural habitat for us anyway. If God uses the energy of the Higgs field to bring in the true vacuum of the universe, this would certainly be an environment that life 
life as we know it could not exist. However, we look forward to an eternal life that will be far different from the life that we know today. So however God creates the new heavens uh, and new earth, uh, we'll be able to live, you know, exist in this environment, of course. Um, so, so that won't be, you know, in, in a new heaven, in a new heavenly, even possibly even extra dimensional body, you know, eternal existence really would be no problem at all in this type of environment. That is actually one of the many promises we have to look forward to as Christians. Uh, not necessarily the Higgsfield Doomsday, that might be the mechanism, but the promise that we know for sure is that, um, we, we have eternity ahead of us. God wants to give us new bodies, bring us into eternity, and we got a lot of wonderful things to uh, look forward to. Um, so we talked about some legitimate concerns, but what about illegitimate concerns? Uh, now, th this this one we, we have to take seriously, and, and this is why I... We have to be careful when we post things online. We, you know, we have to be careful that we actually have the correct information. There's a lot of times that people just to get clicks will write ridiculous articles. They they will not do their homework. They'll they'll promote ridiculous things and, and end up leading people astray, even end up leading people away from Christ or even into suicide. And if you think that I'm making that up or or just being exaggerative, in 2008, Indoor India, a girl named Chaya, only 16 years old, decided to take her own life for fear of what turning on the Large Hadron Collider at CERN would bring against the world. Chaya had been watching certain news reporters on Indian channels that were prophesying the end of the world and totally sensationalizing what the LHC would do. Of course, they were only doing this for views. They were only doing this for ratings. They weren't concerned about what this would do to the public. They were trying to get people uh, to fearfully watch their, watch their news program. Well, Chaya poisoned herself rather than see her village be torn apart and the people she loved die because she she believed she believed them. At the heart of this tragedy is a profound misunderstanding of what the LHC is, what it does, and how it works. Had Chaya had access to correct information, perhaps she would not have been frightened into suicide. Ultimately, it's up to each and every one of us to remain informed for ourselves and for our children. We cannot give in to sensationalism, guys. I mean, it's, it is ridiculous, the stuff that Christians will post online without or make videos of without any regard to whether this is true or not, just to get views, just to get clicks, um, just to sensationalize. The unfortunate thing is that in this case, the girl's father, uh, Bihari Lal, tried to reason with her by telling her that there's nothing to fear, but Chaya had already seen the news report at a neighbor's house and she was already convinced. It's extremely tragic, but we, we, we have to really understand what our posts can do, the harm our posts could, could, can, can cause to other people. Um, yeah, you know, you post something, yeah, people believe it, I get more clicks, yay, good for me. Yeah, but you're you're injecting fear into an already fearful world. Why not why not bring hope, bring light? You know, we shouldn't want people to fear. God certainly doesn't. Does he give us a spirit of fear? No. Um, the only one we should fear is God, and that's not even the same kind of fear. That's that's a, a healthy fear, a, a respect, uh respect and awe, and and that can help keep us in line. Um this is a big reason I got off of social media. I'm not, I, you know, I'm, I'm barely on Facebook anymore. I haven't opened my Twitter in months. Um, I do this on YouTube, but I don't really 
read through the comics. I, I, uh, comments. I really want to just focus on Daily Renegade. I only use the, uh, YouTube to promote Daily Renegade, but that's a big reason because it it's just there's so many people that don't care about the truth anymore. They care about clicks. They care about views. They care about being sensational and being ridiculous. And it does no help. It helps nobody. They, they they're only helping themselves through ad revenue. They're only helping themselves. It's totally selfish and. We got to be careful because God's going to judge that someday. We got to be really careful what we what we put on social media, myself included. And we have to be open to correction and open to reproof. Now, when it comes to CERN and the LHC, the main thing we got to understand is that the LHC is actually rec recreating a natural event. The same collisions that occur in the LH LHC also occur naturally in the Earth's atmosphere all the time when cosmic rays collide into it all the time. Uh, in fact, there are even simple experiments you can do at home to see these cosmic rays in action. You can do it with a fish tank. You just look up a YouTube video. There, there's plenty of them out there. But, um, you know, simple science experiment, how to see cosmic rays. There, there's a way you can put a type of, uh, type of smoke in a fish tank in, in a certain way, and, and you can actually see the cosmic rays going, going through it. It's really fascinating, but this is a natural event. <laughs> this is something that happens all the time. Um, so when somebody comes up with an idea about some kind of harm that CERN is doing to the Earth or people in general, then we got to ask ourselves, why wasn't this already happening since these collisions have been going on in our atmosphere since the beginning, since there was an atmosphere? Uh, now, one example that some have suggested is that CERN is actually changing our timeline, either deliberately or accidentally. The idea is that these collisions have effects that ripple backwards in time as well as forwards. So those backwards ripples can affect the past, which could cause changes to our future, kind of like the butterfly effect idea. So those backward ripples... Um, it gets confusing, but but it basically breaks down to two different ways that time might work. The question is, is there one single unmovable timeline that we live in, or are there multiple timelines tying into the idea of a multiverse, which we'll get into in a little bit? Well, let's briefly consider that there might, let's look at both. Let's first consider that there might be one timeline that we all exist in and it cannot be changed. Uh, that's the one that I lean towards. Now, if that is the case, if uh, if particle collisions could ripple back in time, then the timeline we're living in already had those ripples occur. The moment before the collision happened, the, the collision ripples would already be there, which means nothing is actually getting changed at all. So that, that was what was always supposed to hap happen, always supposed to take place. Um, and if they didn't do the collisions, the ripples wouldn't be there, and that was what was supposed to happen. It just it, it wouldn't change anything. There wouldn't be an actual change <laughs> because it already happened. So quite just put quite simply, if there is one timeline and there's really no reason to suspect otherwise because the effects of a collision have never been have been detected prior to the collision. So this isn't even possible. But um, but if there's only one timeline, then changing the past is impossible. Even if a change could be made, you would never know it because there would be no way to maintain a memory of it. The change would have always been there. It would be like trying to remember something that never happened. It's, it's logically impossible. And once again, even if this was happening, it would have already been happening for at least thousands of years because cosmic rays are constantly causing collisions in our atmosphere. 
Um, now, what about multiple timelines? Uh, what, what some even call a multiverse. The idea of a multiverse, meaning many universes uh, existing, is quite popular nowadays. However, when it's described, it's usually described as being infinite. Physicists will teach that um, there are an infinite number of universes out there, each one slightly or wildly different from our own, but there's a problem here. Can infinity exist at all within physical reality? If we think about what the word infinite actually means and apply it logically, we can understand how impossible of a notion it is within the bounds of current reality. Uh, now, of course, infinity is perfectly possible when it comes to God and biblical descriptions of eternity. However, from a purely physical standpoint, infinity is totally impossible. An easy way to understand why this must be uh, is to first assume, just assume the universe is infinite. Now, follow that line of logic. If the universe is infinite and we are a part of the universe, what percentage of the universe are we occupying? Now, this could go both for space and time. If the universe is infinitely old, what percentage of time is the age of the Earth, or my lifetime, or today? No matter what percentage you try and put there, the answer will always come out to infinity. What is 10% of infinity? Infinity. What is... 0.0000001% of infinity. It's still infinity. Infinity is a notion where 1% and 100% are equal. Clearly, our solar system is not of infinite size nor age. Earth is not of infinite size nor age. We ourselves, most assuredly, even though it may feel like it sometimes, uh, are not of infinite size nor age. So, if infinity is to exist, we must exist somewhere other than the space that we're occupying. Uh, also, before we get to the next item of discussion, I want to briefly describe the difference between higher dimensions and multiple universes, because these are two different ways of describing a multiverse. Now, the most well-known and most used in pop culture, such as Marvel movies and others, is what's called the many worlds interpretation of the multiverse, or of the universe, which basically says that there are an infinite number of other three-dimensional universes out there, some very similar, some very different, and many that contain alternate versions of every person. I do not agree with that. Um, I see nothing in, in scripture pointing to it, and in my opinion, it's been thoroughly debunked quite well. Actually, an excellent resource, a great resource for this, is Dr. Stephen Meyer's book, uh, Return of the God Hypothesis. And you can even go on YouTube and find interviews where he explains this. But he, he explains the multiverse of the many worlds interpretation is scientifically, mathematically, and logically impossible. He's a Christian, by the way. Um, but he's, he's brilliant. Now, the second description of the multiverse says that our universe could be a three-dimensional slice of a much larger creation, even involving higher dimensions. Now, that interpretation, I find, is far more likely, as it could fit in nicely with biblical ideas of heaven, hell, and the totality of God's creation. In fact, when I hosted the show Into the Multiverse, this is the interpretation of the multiverse I was talking about. This, this is one that I believe is likely. Again, we, one universe, one physical three-dimensional universe, but we're just a piece of a larger creation. We know that's true because there's heaven, there's hell, there's all this other stuff. And we can assume that, uh, that, 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 you know, heaven above us, that those would be higher dimension, you know, maybe four-dimensional reality, which we can't experience in our three-dimensional body. No more than a two-dimensional being, you know, 
theoretically called a flatlander, a two-dimensional being, while he could exist in a three-dimensional space, he wouldn't be aware of it. He would only be, because there's no up or down for him, he would only be aware of the two-dimensional slice of the, the, the three-dimensional universe that he's occupying. He, he would have no way, he has an inability to go up or down. He can only go forward, backward, side to side. In much the same way, if there's a higher reality around us, it would it would be all around us, just like three-dimensional reality is all around the, the Flatlander, um, but we wouldn't see it or experience it. We It would just be there, but we would have no way of accessing it. Um, that's the idea. Th that one, I think, is, is plausible. Um, now, there's a lot more that could be said on that, but if you want more on that topic, I would refer you to... Um, uh, my book, Unraveling the Multiverse, especially, because uh, I, I go into great detail there. Uh, and then I talk a little bit about it in Abaddon Ascending, but Abaddon Ascending is more CERN-related, but I do get into it. Uh, okay, so this obviously connects with something that, I, t I tell you, just the damage this has done to people, it infuriates me. The the The, the selfishness around it, the complete disregard for just logic around this topic that I'm going to mention, it infuriates me because it leads people away from Christ and it makes people doubt their Bibles. Um, now, it doesn't force people to doubt their Bibles. I guess if they're going to doubt, they were already primed for that anyway, But because uh, this is not a convincing thing. But there's so much ego in, in, in what I'm about to say. There's so much pride in it. There's so much focus on oneself. I, I just, I just find, I find so much repulsive about it. It might, it might actually surprise you what I'm going to say, but the Mandela effect, <laughs> the Mandela effect. Um, now you might think at home, oh, well, Josh, that's just like a goofy thing. That's just people not remembering how to, you know, what, what the Berenstein Bears were. And I know I get it. There, there is an interesting kind of goofy part to it that, that it's not, it's not the effect itself that I find repulsive. It's just the way that it's treated. Also, sorry if you hear the vacuum yet again, my kids are vacuuming. So, uh, apologies for that, but, um, maybe I can use uh, noise removal in post to get rid of it. But, um, but what I what I what I can't stand about it is how it's how it's abused. How, how how there are people out there that will totally they would rather doubt the Bible than doubt their own minds, doubt their own brains. They would rather doubt God, they would rather doubt logic than doubt the ability of their own brains to remember things correctly. Which why? We always forget stuff. We never remember stuff right, especially as you get older. I'm constantly forgetting things. I'll forget entire conversations sometimes. I don't trust my brain for anything. Fine, it's Berenstain Bears. Always was. I thought it was Berenstain probably because that's a more common name. You know, Steen is more of a common name, uh, uh, suffix on a last name than Stain. So, of course, my brain just associated that. Not a big deal. That doesn't mean we're living in another universe. Well, let me, let me, let me start from the beginning. Let me break it down. It... It does get infuriating just because of the fear that this brings, and it, it it's it's not that I'm not. It it's just people get abusive with it. They use it to try to get other people to doubt the Bible. That that's what blows my mind. It infuriates me, and that people will actually fall for it, even though it is the most ridiculous thing. Um. Okay, so for those of you who just are not familiar with it, it's fine. Um, 
let me let me just the, the Mandela effect is the it's a strange occurrence where large groups of people seem to remember something a little different than it actually is. So one example that most remember, like I just mentioned, most people remember that popular children's book series as the Berenstein Bears, S-T-E-I-N, when it's actually the Berenstain Bears, S-T-A-I-N. Now, most likely, this is nothing more than just a collective overlooking because Steen is a very common ending of many last names where, while Stain is not. It's, it's easy to understand why a lot of people would make that mistake, my, myself included. So it, it's, it's easy for us to read it one way yet remember it another because of a, a, an association with more popular words. But one theory says that CERN is somehow responsible for these changes. Some Christians have even said that their Bibles are being changed and that CERN is responsible. One verse that they'll bring up is how, uh, you know, the lion will lay down with the lamb. At least that's how it's remembered. When Yet when we read Isaiah 11.6, we see that it says the wolf will lie down with the lamb. Now, again, to me, this is most likely just being with the, being confused with the fact that Jesus is called the lamb and the lion, depicting his roles in his first coming and second coming. Yet, there are some out there who refuse that explanation, claiming they distinctly remember it being lion and lamb in Isaiah 6, and they will not budge from it. They will not accept the possibility that they could have made a mistake. Nope, absolutely not. I know it for sure. Now, what do we do with this? Now, people who claim this are in a situation where offering proof of the change is impossible, since their only evidence is their own memories, and we can't access those. Uh, now, for me personally, again, it's just so much easier to believe that it, it was a, it's just a mistake. It's one of those things, and there's a bunch of stuff like that. But it's, it's a lot easier for me to believe that our brains collectively, just due to generations and generations of entropy and degradation, degeneration, uh, our brains are most likely not as sharp or reliable as they would have been in the past, starting way back with Adam and Eve. So false memories on minor points like that make sense to me and should almost be expected. As a Christian myself, I would much rather believe in the reliability of Scripture rather than my own brain, especially when it seems like the examples given are just simple and easy mistakes to make. I mean, they're not big theological changes. And what I mean is, no one is saying that they remember the Bible having a radically different title, or the nation of Israel used to be called, called Australia, or the name of the Messiah is completely different now. No, no one's really claiming that. The changes that people bring up are generally minor, and they do not affect the core theology of the teaching found within the verse. Now, added to that, the alternative would be to believe that CERN has so much power at their disposal that they, whether intentionally or not, are capable of actually changing scripture, and somehow we remember the way it used to be. That is impossible. Broadly speaking, Let's just say, if CERN was using a form of time travel to go back and change the text, we would have no memory of it, because there's either one timeline, which means that we were born and lived through the changes already in place, so we wouldn't have a memory of anything before the change, or there's multiple timelines, in which case the change would not affect our timeline, but it would, it would create a, a branch out into a different universe, a different timeline, and the inhabitants of that universe would only know the changed version and have no memory of what it was to begin with. So either way, I mean, even if you believe in multiple timelines, I don't, but even if you did, 
it's still impossible. We, would, we wouldn't even be in that universe. Now, if CERN wasn't using time travel, uh, some have theorized that they are bringing in differences from other universes into our own. But again, think practically on how something like that could even work. If an alternate version of Baron Stain Bears was brought into our universe, we would have both versions in our universe. You would wake up one day to find two books on your shelf, one Baron Stain, one Baron Steen. If they, if they flipped, say we got the Baron Stain book and the other universe got the Baron Steen book, then when did that exchange happen? Why did no one, not one person, actually see or film it, even by accident? I mean, nobody's even claiming that. Why, why is no one claiming to have witnessed this change happen? Why, why do we have some people who remember it the original way and some people say they remember the changed version is normal? See, to me, it's a brain thing. I mean, if there was a universal change like that, every, it would be everybody. But we do have people that distinctly remember it as Baron Stain. There's plenty of them. So this is not a universal phenomenon in, ev in every or even in any case. Some people... This blows my mind. Some people have even went as far as to say they themselves, because of this Mandela effect, they themselves are from a different universe and our universe is different to them. See how out of hand this has become? And there, again, the reason I bring it up is with, fi with uh, CERN firing back up, we're going to get more of this stuff. There's going to be more of these ridiculous claims. And we as Christians, we have to be on guard. We, we have to be on guard of this, th these kinds of deceptions. We have to not allow ourselves to fall prey to them, as exciting as they may sound. I mean, there are people, some claiming to be Christian, who insist that this is not their home. They're from an alternate universe, all because they remember some Bible verses a little wrong. We, li we live in a total age of fear, and fear can take a person to extreme places. Now, I'd, I would just like to put this out there. If you are an individual who believes this, is it at all possible that you might be prone to these kinds of beliefs because it would make you unique, it would make you set apart, it would make you special and different. It, it would give you something to worry about that other people don't have to, so you would be rare and by extension, even remembered after you die. You know, you would have something that only you can understand and you're so alone and nobody can understand you. Is it possible you're prone to that? Uh, if you, I'm not making fun of you. I'm just literally wanting you to, to, if you believe this, to reflect on yourself. Is it possible I'm allowing myself to believe in this because it provides some kind of comfort or it provides some kind of stroke to the ego or it, it provides something unique about me that, that I, I may be remembered after I die? Now, there is a huge temptation. I talked about this in my, la I believe, my last broadcast. There is a huge temptation for human beings to latch onto things and adopt things into themselves and their personality that will enable them to be unique and to be remembered after they die because we all innately know that we're destined for death and uh, most people are not remembered. And to be remembered is a form of immortality. Uh, at least the closest a human being on their own can get. Um, that, that's why everybody wants to be remembered. Personally, and I think that's just a human thing. That, that's, that's a human, probably connected to the sin nature, but it's a human thing because we, we I think naturally, because we are spiritual beings having a physical experience, um, naturally we know that we're not supposed to die, Death is a curse. It's an unnatural thing. And 
So we have this drive to want to continue on, but we know that we're going to die someday. We know that. So what is the closest, what is the best thing that we can do? What is the closest thing to immortality that we can do? We can leave a mark on the world, apart from Jesus I'm talking about. We can leave a mark on the world and we can be remembered uh, after we die. And in that sense, that's like the closest to immortality that we can be. So, and th this need, this drive, this motivation manifests in, in some people in all sorts of different ways. This just being one of them. Um, sometimes it's just like, sometimes people just want to be president because they'll know that they'll be remembered that way. Sometimes people write a book, by the way, that's not why I write books. I, I personally don't care if I'm, I, I want my memory to be a blessing. Like I want to be good to people. So if they remember me, it's, it's a blessing to them. But I don't want to be remembered for any reasons of my own. I don't care about that. I don't even need anything on my tombstone. It, it can just say servant of Jesus Christ for all I care. Um, but, uh, but I wasn't always like that, though. It took years and years of maturity to, to, to get there. Um, and if I wouldn't have made a conscious effort to do that, uh, I, I'd probably still be in the same boat as everybody else. And, and doing things and, and accepting things unconsciously uh, because of this fear of death thing and this wanting to be remembered thing. Personally, I believe it's possible that some people are falling into this Mandela effect stuff for that exact reason. Even even if it's sub, a subconscious motivation. I'm not saying they're doing this intentionally. Even if it's a subconscious motiv motivation and they're not aware, uh, aware that they're doing that consciously. Because think about it. If that were true, if God's word could so easily be manipulated, then why are you a Christian at all? I mean, if anything could have been changed, how do you know the name of the Savior hasn't been changed? How do you know the descriptions of God are the same? How could you ever know or even be expected to know the true way to salvation? If this was true, you would not be personally responsible to know Jesus as the one true way to eternal life because there would be no way for you to know that. Now, believe me, people have used this as their excuse to escape Christianity and deny Jesus, which is a horrifying thought because they're adopting a belief that is impossible. They're adopting a belief in, in an impossible scenario at the cost of their very salvation through Jesus Christ. The biblical worldview is extremely testable in many areas. You got history, archaeology, science, and even prophecy, and the Bible holds up every time. If someone a person or demon or Satan himself actually could change the Bible, why not change it to make it blatantly false? Make it, have it say blatantly false claims so that the Bible, uh, when it's tested, would have been debunked and forgotten a long time ago. It just doesn't make sense. But I think some people find it easier to appeal to their own sense of pride and ego rather than submitting to the authority of Jesus and the real worldview that the Bible explains for us. And lastly, I'll just mention again, if demons or anything could actually do this, or even if it's happening as a result of the, of the experiment itself at, at CERN, this already would have been happening long before CERN was even possible, because what CERN is doing with the L L LHC is exactly what cosmic rays hitting our atmosphere accomplishes. And that has been going on since the very beginning of creation, and way more frequently. Now, adding one more collision it wouldn't change anything. So before the CERN conspiracy theories start up again, and they're coming, a lot of them are probably already here, I want to remind everyone out there 
that there are people who naturally gravitate towards the weird and strange, and they want them to be true. And I'm not, I'm not dogging on those people. I'm, I'm naturally interested in weird and strange things. But we have to keep that in check. Some of these people will be tempted to believe things that elevate themselves to a unique, special, or set-apart status. Now, here's the irony. The irony is that if you believe in Jesus, you are already set apart. You are already special. You are already unique. You have a special relationship with the almighty creator of the universe who loves you and wants to take care of you for all of eternity. You don't get any more special than that. He died for you, the creator of the universe. He died for you. And even more, it is a much more exciting reality to live in because it is actually true and God tells us how to navigate it through his word. God doesn't drop people into an insane reality that's impossible to understand because things keep getting changed and the truth is an impossible pursuit. No, God loves the truth. He is the truth and he wants you to have access to it. And he's not going to let a time-traveling demon or a big metal circular tube in Switzerland defeat him. That's just ridiculous. He is almighty. CERN and demons are not. I mean, how much power are we trying to grant the enemy here? Put your faith in Christ and reject these irrational fears. Don't believe the lies of the enemy. The only one that has any authority over time itself is God. If demons did, why did they say, Jesus, have you come to torment us before our time? If they could manipulate time, no problem. Just go back in time. You know, li live out, live, live a hundred years, live, live a thousand years, and then go back and do it again, and just keep doing that forever. But no, they they can't because they can't manipulate time like that. Only God can. Now, you, what we need to do, you need you need to put your faith in Christ, reject these irrational fears. Do not believe the lies of the enemy. The enemy wants you to believe that he's more powerful than he actually is. All right? Compared to God, he's a wuss. Now, are, are demons and Satan, are they more powerful than us? Yeah, they're spiritual beings. But we have the authority of Christ, so we don't have anything to fear. God protects us. Put your faith in Christ. Now, Mandela Effect tends to get, of course, on the more wild side of potential doomsday theories. Um, and I really wanted to cover that. But what about black holes? And I think this is actually going to be something that we're going to cover uh, in members only. I wanted to at least get that Mandela effect thing out there because it is all over on YouTube and we just need to reject it. I, and I'm not saying it's sinful to watch fun Mandela you know, effect videos where it's like, oh, you know, the, the spelling of this fast food restaurant is, is different than we remember. Isn't that interesting? I wonder what's going on with our brains. You know, there's nothing sinful in that. But because um, that's just an interesting brain thing. But if you if you take it to the point where it's it's like literally a salvation issue, I, I mean that's where it, it gets really dangerous, and we need to be on our guard with that. Um, but again, that's that's more on the wild side. I want to talk about black holes and some other things. Um, let me see what we got left here. Uh, yeah, I I, I want to talk about that. I want to give a conclusion as well. But um, we're going to do that on the other side. Members only. So if you haven't had a chance to already, go to dailyrenegade.com and get a membership. It is only $10 a month or $100 a year. If you can do the $100 a year, definitely do that because technically you get two months free. Uh, if you do it monthly, you're paying $120 a year. If you do the year, then you, you, you get two months off. Um, 
Uh, but we're, we're trying to raise money through this to get the website fixed. Um, for some people on some browsers, when you log in, it looks like it's not doing anything or it looks like it's just a white, white blank page and nothing is, is happening. Give it a second. Uh, if that happens, give it a second. If it looks like it brings you back to the login page or, you know, whatever, give it a second and let it sit for a minute and it will, it will load it. What, what's happening is there's so much content. This is actually kind of a good thing. There's so much content on daily renegade that the, the servers literally can't keep up with it. And that is a very costly problem. So we need, we need to get that fixed. Uh, we also want to do uh, a phone app for you guys and a TV app. And, and just a total redo of the website, make it accessible. Because right now, you can't even really share a video because videos themselves don't have their own unique URL. So when somebody asks me, like, hey, I, I watched this program of yours from a year ago, where do I get the other half? I can't, all I can tell them is you, you got to go to the show page and then just scroll through the videos, which is a nightmare. So, um, but the, the content there, it, it's, it's, it's worth the cost, but we're using that money to revamp the website and, uh, to get the apps going. So you'll be able to go on your TV. You'll be able to go on your phone and watch videos. That is the ultimate goal. So if you can get a membership, please do so. Uh, we're, we're there, there, my prayer is, and, and my, my, my hope, my expectation is that right now, the way the website is, is the worst it's ever going to be. Now, it's not, it's, it, for most people, there's no problem. Most people can just get on there and there's just no issue whatsoever. So don't, don't go into it expecting problems. And really, the only problem is the, the loading. All, all it is is you log in, it might take a minute to load. And then once you're in, though, you're in and you can go to any page and it doesn't take forever. Um, that's really the only problem. So it's not that bad. Uh, but, uh, so we, we want to do that, but yeah, again, it's uh, dailyrenegade.com. You'll get the rest of this program and so much more. We have a lot of good stuff. We have full like series, like eight hour long series on different topics. Uh, I've got a long, a scene thing, Dead Sea Scroll prophecy stuff. Uh, Tim Alberino has, uh, his birthright series on there, which is something like six or eight hours long. He goes through the whole book. Um, so we got a lot of great stuff. Uh, dailyrenegade.com is definitely worth, worth the, worth the, uh, price of admission. Um, and, uh, I'll, I'll mention too, um, we're still trying to raise funds for Nathan. He's, uh, he's not, he, he's still in remission. My, my eight-year-old son, when he was five, he was diagnosed with leukemia. Um, and we went through years of battling it. He, he's still in re remission, but because of the chemotherapy, it destroyed his body. And, um, we're going, we're, we're using all natural means to, to, to heal him, which of course is not covered by insurance. So it's extremely expensive. And, um, if you want to donate to Nathan, there's, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll actually put a clip of a, a donate video that I did to kind of explain how you can do that, but it's, it's, it's easy. Uh, you can do that, and there's a link right on dailyrenegade.com where you can go to donate. Um, you you could, if you want to, you can also donate for the website. Uh, if it is for something specific like that, just make a note of it. It'll let you make a note. Um, oh, and I'll say too, not everybody likes PayPal. You don't have to have a PayPal account to get a subscription or to donate. It does go through PayPal, but PayPal, when you click on it, um, it'll, it'll give you an option for like credit cards and things right now. We don't have any way of just mailing, mailing in a monthly check. We, we don't have any way to navigate that, uh, possibly in the future. Um, keep it in prayer, but, uh, right now and, and, and right now PayPal's the only one that'll take us. And it's probably because we're Christian and, 
uh, like Stripe, all, all these others, uh, I haven't been able to use. But um, but again, we want to get these the the apps going. Uh, we found a company that can do it. Um, we we just need the funds. So uh, if you believe in us and and in what we do, the best way to support is to get a membership because then you get something out of it too. Uh, and, uh, and beyond that, if you want to donate, you're absolutely welcome to do so. Okay. We got a lot more to talk about, uh, black holes, uh, and, and what the most important part of this message is, uh, spoiler alert, it's love. We all need to love each other. Um, and in love, we speak the truth just so everybody out there on YouTube still gets the message, but, um, I'm, I'm going to go more in depth with it, but, uh, we're going to do that in members only. So if you're a member, just hang on the line. There's, there's there'll probably be a brief commercial or something, and then and then we'll get back into it. For everybody else uh, viewing for free, once again, please consider becoming a member. And thank you so much for joining us. Uh, until next time, take care and God bless. Uh, I do 